0: So I have a treat for you. We're embarking upon a a new book, um, something I don't think that this center has ever used this book before, and I'm very excited about it. And it's been around for um, 103 years. (laughs) We're gonna be using the book Lessons in Truth, the centennial edition of 2003. So it's been around uh, um, about 107 years. And for those of you who may have hung out from time to time at a Unity Church, In the same way that in religious science, we use that big, thick textbook as kind of our primer or as kind of our um, starting off point. Look what the unity people get to use. Is this cool or what? I know. Maybe next year in January when we do back to basics, I'll pull this one out again. Um, Anyway, it was written by uh, Emily Uh, Cady. The book itself was actually written at the end of the last century. And uh, and I want to start off by telling you a little bit of, of just the tiniest bit, believe me, of a history lesson. Her first chapter here, and the promise is um, uh, of, of using this book is bondage or liberty, which will it be? And I want to give you maybe a picture of what uh, being a woman in uh, around 1800 when this book was written would be like, because I I think most of us would say it's the very idea of bondage. Now think about it, Um, 1800, women of course couldn't vote, that was a long ways off yet, but in many states of the union, they would not have been allowed to own property. In a few states of the union, even the laws around inheritance hadn't been changed, and a woman, if her husband died, all of the land and all of the property would simply go to the eldest son. And and she would have to hope that the eldest son liked her. (laughs) I know. I know. Think about it. It's funny in a way, but it's not funny at all in yet another way. Back then, literally, women were expected to run the house. Well, in fact, more than that, they probably would have been expected to work a good day in the field and then upon coming back to the house making food for the ranch hands and the family, and of course her obligation would have still been to raise the seven or eight children, right? And, and, and without, you know, this was just the way it was. If you think of anything closer to in indentured servitude, I don't know what it would have been than to be a woman around 1800, right? Okay. But of course, all that's gone now, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, we're we're now 100 and some years into the future, and i got to ask you, and the men too, for that matter, are we feeling completely at liberty now, or are many of the same problems that existed 100, 150 years ago still here with us? I'd like you to consider life right now. I believe, and I'm not proud of this, I don't like this, But I believe that we're born into a society right now that unless you're a certain age, unless you look a certain way, unless your height and weight ratio is within certain norms, unless your skin color is appropriate, unless you're blessed with an education at a certain level, unless and unless, and and probably you should be male too, I'll just throw that out because last time I checked, (coughs) men have a heck of a lot of easier time in the world than, than women do. So I ask you, are we that far from the bondage that Emily Cady would have experienced a hundred years ago? And I think we have to kind of say the answer is no. Now, right now, I know there are a number of us that fit into some of these categories. So those of you who are over 60 right now, when was the last time that you felt invisible, whether it was looking for a job, whether it was just getting waited on in the store? isn't there the tendency for young people to just look right through you, look right over the top of you as though you didn't exist? If you're black, have you never had that experience of being in a room with mostly white people and you were the last one to get the plate of hors d'oeuvres? You were the la- it's as though you don't exist. If you're a woman, when was the last time you compared notes with someone else in an identical job to yours right salary what 25 percent less than the man now we've made some improvement on that one at least about 15 years ago the average woman in the same uh, job classification made about 30 to 40 percent less than her male counterpart but you know forbes did a survey not long ago it's still lingering at about 20 percent women are paid less doing exactly the same job this is bondage I don't know how else to describe it, this is a kind, now you might think of it as just a social bondage then, the laws have changed, right? In fact, there are laws right now in this country that would prevent, I think, pretty much all of that from happening, except maybe, maybe the uh, how people look part of it, though, right? We don't have laws that say, you know, oh, I can't prevent you from discriminating, hiring someone because they're overweight, or because they look funny, Right? You can absolutely not hire someone just on the basis of they look. Horrible. And what I know is these things still exist in the world because each one of us, me included, actually allow it to happen. Now, I'm not saying that we wake up in the morning saying, you know, I'm going to do my best today to find some elderly people and render them invisible, right? I, I mean, I'm not for a minute thinking that anyone in this room gets up in the morning and thinks, you know, I'm going to somehow slight a woman today just because she has less power than I do. Well, of course not. Of course not. And yet there is something in society. There is something. And you might even just think of it as the inertia of time itself. I don't know what it is. But even though we pass laws, even though on the surface we recognize that these places, these ways that we have of keeping people in bondage, even though we know it's not right, even though we have laws in many cases against it, it still exists. It's still that inertia of time gone by, and for the most part, we as individuals either overlook it because it's kind of not in our radar right i mean honestly i I was at uh, walmart about a year ago and um this um this african-american elderly woman was standing at the customer service desk and i don't know how long but she certainly was there for several minutes before i was there i walked up to do a return and the woman looks right over the top of her and says how can i help you sir now, do I think it was that woman's like intention or even in her awareness of the really the horrible thing that she had done? How would you feel, right? You'd been standing there patiently waiting your turn. Someone looks just right through you, over the top of you, and chooses someone else as though they had more power, they had more worth. Of course, I don't for a minute think that that woman did that on purpose, and yet we as a society perpetuate these bondages through our own inattention through our own in unawareness sometimes we see it even and just ignore it you know don't do what's right around it all right so that's that's bondage if you will and the the tenacity with which this exists you can look at all kinds of statistics if you want And the statistics will say that the educational level of your parents, the statistics will say the family into which you were born, the statistics will say that the the income level of what your family was like and things like that are all, still, in today's world, the best predictor of your level of success if you're the child in that family. All right. So if we're all in bondage, if, as... Emily Cady says, we get to choose between bondage and liberty. I'm here to say that it's time for us to choose liberty. And not only for ourselves, but for those around us. And not only for the people closest to us, not only for our own families, but for the human race as a whole. Let us choose liberty over this bondage. All right, now I want to introduce something a little tricky here. Because there's a problem with this idea of liberty. There's a problem with it. And as soon as I pulled up the definition of liberty, I realized what it was. So I'm going to read this definition of liberty. And what I'd like you to do, if you feel called, like shoot up a hand. If you see what is wrong from a metaphysical standpoint, literally with the way that liberty is actually defined in the dictionary. Now, I know I can't rewrite the dictionary, but I think it might point out why we have a problem claiming liberty. Here's the definition. The state of being free from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority on one's way of life, behavior, or political views. That's one. Second one: the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved, and three: a person's freedom from control by fate or necessity. Who who hasn't? Just yeah, go ahead. That's all external. It's external. What else? That that's the key part. One other thing. Anything else you notice? Sure. The state of being free from oppressive restrictions. The state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. And freedom from control or fate. Yeah. Think about what you're not. Exactly. Exactly. The entire focus on these are external. And the entire focus on these is identifying with what we don't want to experience. Oh my gosh. From a metaphysical standpoint. Think about this. If we spend all of our time being in opposition to the things that we're experiencing that we don't like what are we doing we're highlighting we're etching in stone our own feelings our own emotions everything that we don't want to experience in the world our very bondage if we seek liberty in this way this is what digs us further into bondage because we're actually highlighting you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I hate this experience, you know, when I go to the supermarket, they don't see me because I'm over 65, when I, do you know what I mean? If this is our, if this is our reaction, what we're doing is we're tightening the bonds, literally, even though our good intention is to see beyond that, even though our attention is to claim something better, All right. Well, Webster did save themselves. I I don't, you know, whoever Webster exactly is, because there is a fourth definition. But of these three of these four definitions, the fourth one is the only way at all that asserts what liberty is. All of the rest of them totally deal what liberty is not. Here's the fourth one, though. The power or scope to be and to act as one pleases. All right. I want us to focus on that today. I don't want to hear what we're fighting against. I don't want to have a sense of what we don't want in our lives. I don't want to to dig further into that idea of oppression or or what's wrong with us. Because what I know is as we do that, we're collectively agreeing, yes, it sure does exist in my life. It sure does exist in my life. And it's almost like a little prayer saying, you know, I hate it, but I am it. And instead, what I would like us to do is focus on what we do want. I'd like us to focus on our power or our scope to be and to act simply as we please. Now you'd think, okay, all right, well, he's done with the tricky part. How many of us know what we want? (laughs) Yeah. Now here's kind of a catch, isn't it? Because a lot of us spend a whole lot of our time really being sure of what we don't want right we know that we're in a relationship that isn't ideal and we're kind of struggling with that a little bit we know that we're in a job that doesn't pay us quite enough we know that you know our family doesn't have as much harmony as we would like we know we know we know all these things that are not quite what we would want but if someone that we didn't know actually came up to us and said all right larry what is in your heart? What is in your mind's eye? What is it that you truly value? Oh, my God. I might be like, mm, um, um, mm, um, well, and and the first things that would be to my mouth probably would be, well, I want a relationship that's more of this. But, but again, you know, it's the idea of not like what I have, right? Well, I have... Uh, I'm going to ask your indulgence today as as many as you came in you probably noticed there was something sitting on the chair or some of the chairs and there's a little value survey Um, i'd like you to take that survey not now and and if the chair next to you doesn't have one there's a whole pile of them on the back counter there and i'm I'm hoping that this value survey will do two things it's kind of a three-part survey the first page captures what you value the first page i'm actually asking you to look over a long list of words and hopefully that will, one of those will jar your mind into telling you what it truly is that you value. Maybe it's your family, maybe it's love, maybe it's your spiritual path, maybe it's abundance or or your mobility, maybe it's your wholeness or health. Whatever the, the top ten things are on that sheet, you know, just circle them. Get a firm idea of what it is you do want to experience, what you value the most. The second two pages are really going to help us here at the center. My intention is to really be a value-driven church. And so the idea is, once we know what you would value in a spiritual center, right, which is kind of page two, is what values do you see being expressed at the center right now? And then the third list is for you to capture maybe where you'd like to see a little change, especially for those of you who've been coming to the center for some time. Maybe you would like to see more family stuff being valued. Maybe you would like to see more, um, more um, um, I don't know, harmony or more joy, more activities that bring out love. Whatever it is, I'd like you to use that form in that simple way to give us feedback on where we as a center want to claim. All right, and you don't have to finish it today, but sometime in the next couple Sundays when you come, uh, there's a, a, a basket on the back table. If you want to finish it today, that'd be great. But, but please, um, if you would, fill out those brief surveys and let us know what you value. Now, over the next three weeks, once we've found out what we value, and so think of this as a homework um, excursion for you, too, because I want you, next week when you come, to have a real clear idea of what, say, your top two or three or four values are. And the rest of this month, we're going to use the tools in this lovely book to head us down a path of getting our heart's desire, of being able to actually put into practice that which we want to see more of in our lives, whether it be love, whether it be um, abundance, whether it be harmony, whether it be joy, whether it be peace, maybe it's wholeness, maybe you want to experience a greater degree of wholeness, whatever it is that you value the most, come armed with that over the next few weeks and we're going to learn some practical tools from Emily Cady's book on how to do that. But what I want to focus on today then is not liberty from, I don't want you to know what you want to be free from, I want you to have a heartfelt sense of what you'd be free to do so, think of it as a freedom too. If I had my heart's desire, I would be free to paint beautiful pictures. If I had my heart's desire, I would be free to be the best father on the planet. If I were free to do whatever I wanted to do, if there were no restrictions, no limitations, I would want to be a philanthropist and seek out other people with worthy causes to help out. Now, you know, I might be describing some of you. But more likely, you have your own key awarenesses of what it is you want to do, how you want to show up, how you want to be in this world in order to give your gift to the world in the most meaningful way. So that's what we're going to work on over the next three weeks. And for today, I suggest that awareness is curative. I don't think to begin walking this path, we need to do much more then just have that clarity around what it is we do want to achieve that clarity around how we are to show up you know what's our best inner self what is the gift that we want to give what is it that we value and want to see more of in this world i think the simple awareness of that will be curative what i also know about religious science is that there are two ways primarily two ways of going about this they both have the same effect What they do is they both have the effect of having us focus on what we want to have in the world instead of what we don't want to have in the world. And the two main paths are, one, I think of it as a process of weeding and planting, right? So as the thoughts come up that are unlike what we want to have, when those thoughts of bondage come up, when those thoughts of lack and limitation come up, when those thoughts of, of, of hate or anger come up, we weed them. And how do we weed them? It isn't by denying them. It's simply by saying, wow, look at that thought. Now, is that really what I want to experience more of? When that hateful feeling of being mad at a, you know, a, a brother or a sister-in-law comes into play, all you have to do is just go, oh my God, is it hate? Is it hate that I want to experience more of? Okay, that's the weeding. And then simply replace it with the opposite. Try to find love in the situation attempt to you know it might, might take some centering you might need to sit down depending upon what it is some of these issues are thorny and some of some of them like the bondage that has kept the country in bondage in so many ways through inertia some of that inertia exists in us as individuals it may be very tenacious to try to weed some of those thoughts out persist Okay, so that's the weeding-planting method. You weed out the thoughts you don't want to have. You try to plant the ones that you do want to have. The other one is nothing more than trickery. And I love a good dose of trickery now and then. I think it is perfectly natural, perfectly acceptable, perfectly wonderful, in fact, to use our own creativity to trick us, to absolutely trick us, into experiencing what we want to have in this world. And I'll tell you how to go about it we all have a fairly good imagination and if you want to get in, t- in contact with it right now picture maybe the happiest moment that you can recall from my ch- from your childhood so so you know put put on your thinking cap put on mr memory here go back in time to you know when you were 10 or 12 or 13 a, kind of a happy time in your life and think about an event that is there with some crystal clarity that is really happy for me I will say, it was, I, I believe it was my 11th birthday. And um, um, uh, mom and dad had had a little party at home and just a few friends. But, you know, something about it, just the combination of the sweet friendship and the good food and some of the silly party games that we had. And it was a, a beautiful day that year in the middle of December. And I can still remember what the clouds were like. I can still remember the taste Of the birth, I mean, I swear to you, it was a white cake with orange frosting on it, that cream cheese frosting that's so good. And you know what? The more I think about it right now in my own mind, I can feel that moment again. Brings a smile to my face just thinking about it. Now I ask you, what am I doing? I am tricking myself into being in a place. Of complete happiness and what I know about the science of mind is that when I put myself into a posture of thinking about life being sweet thinking about life being beautiful thinking about the love that was in that room thinking about the very tactile sweetness and texture of that cake and the sensation of it in my mouth I am tricking myself into having a really good day and what I know is, the more often that I can get this sense of satisfaction in the world, the more often that I can get this sense of joy, of beauty, of perfection, the more often I can hold that firmly in my own mind, the more likely the following moment, and the moment after that, and the day after that, and the week after that, the more likely I am to capture more moments like that. Now, now uh, this trickery was using the past. Even more powerful is to use the present moment in the same way. Indulge me for just a moment. Close your eyes and think about some kind of an issue that maybe you're faced with right now. Maybe it's a relationship that could have the the love aspect of it notched up a bit. Maybe it is a working environment that isn't quite what you would want. Maybe your financial affairs are not in as good of order as you would like them to be. So so pick a topic for yourself, and what I want you to do is imagine your best day ever in relationship to that issue. So if it's a relationship, think about what that relationship would be like if it was having its best day ever. Would it be dinner and a movie? Would it be the two of you so sweetly getting along, maybe doing an activity? that you like doing. Picture yourself in that perfect day, whether if it's a perfect day at work, a perfect day with a loved one, a perfect day with someone you're having an issue with, a perfect day if all of your finances were taken away, all of your financial problems were taken away from you. And make it real for you in this moment, actually see yourself in this perfect day. Feel the feelings, sense the love, sense the abundance, whatever that issue is, feel that has been resolved so perfectly. All right, you can open your eyes. What I would like to claim for each person in this room is that you have tricked yourself into reliving that perfection over and over again. What I would like to know for each person in this room is that with the degree to which you can have that clarity around what perfection looks like, what your values look like, knowing them, tasting them, feeling them, and having them on your mind often and with such sweetness. This is the sweetest prayer, the nicest gift, the best affirmation that you can ever do for yourself. This, my friends, is what moves mountains. This, my friends, is what causes that co-creative power of God itself to bring into this world right now your fondest desire. This, my friends, is you capturing and harnessing the power of your own thoughts in such a way that they can no longer be denied. And the degree to which you can keep this up and call it trickery if you want, I don't care, right? If it gets us where we want to go, do I care whether we're using our imagination? Do I care if we're maybe fudging a little on reality? I don't care. And I would suggest that you all could give it a try too. Because what I know for each one of you is that you deserve your heart's desire. That you deserve, what What was the quote about liberty again? That each person in this room deserves the power and the scope to be and to act as one pleases. Let us deny right now the bondage once and for all. I don't care what the statistics say. It may be that 90% of Americans will never earn as much as their parents did. It may be that you know 87% of Americans will, will have some kind of coronary disease by the time they're 60. I don't care what those other Americans are up to. What I know is that the people in this room can claim liberty. What I know is that the people right in this room can claim their heart's desire and the degree to which we can put love into it, the degree to which we can have clarity around it, the degree which we can hold it in our hearts, have it flower in our mind with a circulation of thoughts and ideas of how good it will be. That is the degree to which God will create that world exactly the way you're hoping it will. And so I am wonderfully glad that you are here today. I'm wonderfully glad that we're embarking upon this new lessons in truth because over the next few weeks, I'm going to give you some of the tools, some of the techniques, and a lot of the support necessary to hold these visions of goodness and truth and beauty and happiness and so let us pray. One power and one presence is in this universe. It is this thing that I call God, and I know that God is all-powerful. It is that very archetype of perfect love. It is that very archetype of freedom and liberty at its best. It is that very essence of strength and wisdom and joy and happiness. It is harmony itself. It is that love that we feel. This is God. And I am here as a loving witness to the fact that it also means me and that it also means each person in this room. Each person in this room has the keys to the kingdom. Each person in this room is an heir to the throne. Each person in this room is a gift from God. And God does not give this gift lightly. God gives this gift with all of the support all of the power, everything that is necessary to manifest in the lives of the people in this room exactly what they choose to experience. And so for each person here, I know a greater and greater awareness of the ability of the thoughts going around in their own minds. I know that each person here can prune and plant thoughts that will bring about their true heart's desire. I know that each person here experiences more liberty today than ever before. And I am simply grateful for this. Grateful for this wonderful teaching. Grateful in knowing and expecting the good to happen now. And so I simply let it be and together we all say and so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you. And now is our time of conscious contribution. If you'd like to